Well, as most of you, I believe, know, the last two years we've been dealing with COVID-19, coronavirus. I think uh, many people have figured out what the 19 stands for. That's how many pounds you're going to gain during that time. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, uh, that first year in 2020, you know, all we did pretty much was stay home. And when you're home, the refrigerator's there and you do a lot of eating. And, of course, uh, during that time, I didn't go to the gym, but I was able to play some golf and got a little bit of exercise. I was able to control my weight a little bit that first year. But the second year, in 2021, I developed, a, a, had a bout with arthritis. Uh, and my, my hands and many of my joints, and, and I wasn't able to do anything hardly. I played a little golf, but it wasn't fun, and I finally had to even quit doing that. I'm doing really well now, but during that time, I put on at least 19 pounds during that time. And as, as now that I'm able to get back in the gym and able to play golf again, I've realized it is my responsibility to get this weight off. I can make excuses about corona. I can make excuses about uh, arthritis. I can give all kinds of excuses. But it's still, it is my responsibility to get that weight off. And nobody else can get it off. Only me. I have to watch my diet, I have to be active and do my exercise. So I have to recognize it's my responsibility. Today we're going to think about responsibility. You know, we've been going through this series called Restore. And we've talked about how Nehemiah came in to Jerusalem to restore the, the city, to restore the walls and the gates, and to restore the spirituality of the people there in Jerusalem. You know, we've gone through sermons, uh, realize the problem, review the need, refocus the people, remember the presence, react to obstacles, revitalize the purpose, rejoice in revival, and remember the past. And we've seen that Nehemiah was able to restore Jerusalem to what it had once been. And it was, once again, a thriving city. But we have to also recognize responsibility because there's some responsibility to keep that city restored, which the people did not take on their shoulders. And I'll raise a question today. What, is, what responsibility do we have as the people of God? I mean, does God just... just uh, you know, when we give our lives to Him, did He just send us on our way to live a, a frivolous life with no expectations? What kind of God would do that? Uh, today, as we, as we close this series out on Nehemiah, uh, I want us to think about it, and I hope you'll realize that God wants His people to, re, to, to live responsible lives for His kingdom. So let's go to the last chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. And when we left off last week, we saw they had celebrated, they had read in the Word of God where God had called for a, a great festival called the Feast of the Tabernacles. They had done that. They had added a couple of extra days on. They were supposed to live seven days in a tabernacle uh, commemorating the time when the 
the people left Egypt and were freed from slavery and they lived out in the wilderness. And then they, uh, they had this special day when they wore sackcloth and they repented of their sins. And the people read the word, they were convicted of what they needed to do. And then we pick up here today, chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. So I want us to think and begin to think about, as we're going to see in this last chapter, some responsibilities that the people of God have and what our responsibilities are uh, today uh, as we think about their responsibilities in that day. And the first thing I want you to think about is a responsibility to the holiness of living as God's people. We don't know exactly when that was. It says on that day. We don't know if, if that means on that day or in that day. Uh, if it was the same day as we left off last week. It probably wasn't. We'll see in a minute. Some time had probably passed. But um, the point is they read from the law and they were reminded that the law called them to keep people from Ammon and from uh, Moab from coming into their worship. I think we have a map to put up here, and I'll help you uh, figure out a little bit about that. You can see uh, Edom and Moab and Ammon. When the people left Egypt, they traveled uh, across from Egypt, and they went up along beside uh, the... Dead Sea, and that's the area of Moab and Ammon. And those people would not accept them. They, wouldn't, they didn't offer them anything, no food or water. In fact, they called a man named Balaam to come and put a curse on them. Balaam was apparently some kind of prophet, a priest. Uh, he, he knew the Lord God of the Hebrew people. But it's believed that he knew all kinds of gods and worshipped all kinds of gods. And he prayed to God if he should put a curse on them or if he should bless them. And God told him over and over that he should bless them. You can go back and read in Numbers 22 and 23 about Balaam. We don't have time to get into all that today. But Balaam never pronounced a curse on the Hebrew people. In fact, he said that he had to bless them because that's what God had called him to do. But God used a talking donkey to get Balaam's attention. At any rate, the people of Moab and Ammon were sort of against the Israelites. And in Deuteronomy 23, uh, God told Moses to say to the people, No Ammonite or Moab or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord God, not even in the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Balaam, son of Baor of Pithor, in a ram 
Nahariam, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. So God, in God's law, he prohibited them from having relationships with the Moabites and the Ammonites. They worshiped the false god Baal. They worshiped many gods and sacrificed to pagan idols. They practiced all sorts of sexual immorality in their worship even. And so uh, they were not the kind of people that God wanted them to associate with. And this is the way it was under the law of Moses. Now, a person from any nationality could convert to Judaism and become a Jew, and then they would be welcome. Even a Moabite or an Ammonite could convert. They had to go through a ritual and a, and a ceremony to do that. But under the Old Covenant, those that had not done that were not welcome in the Jewish worship service. Now, we're not under the Old Covenant today, but I think we are supposed to still live the holy lives that God called us to. In Leviticus eleven forty four, God told His people, Be holy, for I am holy. Uh, if we look at 1 Peter 1, 16, Peter reiterates this, that even the Christian people are to be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. Now, holy means set apart. That's... Uh, Something or someone that is dedicated to the service of the Lord. So we should be careful if we're holy about the associations that we have as we live our holy lives as God's people. Um, we, we, should, uh, we should be careful especially about the close associations we have. We're, we're not called to just live holy lives for an hour or two on Sunday when we come to church. Our holiness is supposed to be something we live out 24-7. So our close associations should not be with people who live pagan lifestyles. Now, we are to still care about those people. Uh, we are uh, to uh, seek to influence them for the Lord but when we are with them, we need to be very careful about allowing their influence to creep into our lives and to take us down a road that leads us to the way that the pagans live. So, uh, we have a responsibility to live the holy lives that God calls His people to live. Now, look at verse 4. Before this, Elishib, the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense at the temple and the temple articles that also and also the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah. For the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, 
I asked his permission to come back to Jerusalem. He, here I learned about the evil thing Elishib had done in providing Tobiah a room in, to the courts of the house of God. So what we learn here is Nehemiah had left after 12 years. He came there in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, left in the 32nd, and then he returned again. And what he found here, we can also learn from. And what I want you to see is that we have a responsibility to the holiness of the ministry of the church. When Nehemiah got back this second time, he learned that the people, even the priest, and especially Elishib, were neglecting their duties to the temple. There, there were special storerooms at the temple where when the people brought their tithes and offerings, these things were stored. They brought all kinds of things, grain and, and olive oil and wine. And this was brought to the temple, and there were special storerooms there to keep it. And this is what was to provide income for the priest and the Levites. Now, we know who the priests were. Uh, the priest and the Levites worked together, and the Levites were, uh, had all kinds of special duties. Uh, they took care of, they were sort of the custodians of the temple, and they served as worship leaders and musicians in the temple and singers, and they set up for worship, and they assisted the priest in all that they did. They were to draw income from these storerooms, but apparently the people had just quit giving altogether. They didn't need the storeroom. They didn't need any place to put it. If we read, we don't have time to read, verse 10 through 13, we, we learn there was nothing to put in the storerooms. Uh, so they gave this storeroom to a pagan guy. Now think about it and remember who Tobiah was. He, along with Sambalot, had opposed the restoration of Jerusalem. And here he was setting up shop right in the middle of the temple. In verse 11, Nehemiah rebukes the leaders and he says, Why is the house of God neglected? As the holy people of God, this just reminds me that we have some responsibilities to see that the church is not neglected. That means bringing our tithes and offerings to support the minister, to support the ministry. And that means helping to pay the bills that the church has and pay the salaries of the ministers and the staff who are, who are like the priests and the Levites of the, of the uh, uh, temple. And it means sometimes volunteering to help the ministry be successful. You know, as the, as the, uh, the church, the church is people. It's not this building. This building is a, is a tool that the churches used. It was the same thing with the temple. The temple was not the house of God. The house of God was the people, the family of believers that gathered together. So, we have to take care of our responsibility. Kent Hughes, a, uh, author, Christian author, says... One of the most, on the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church or be part of the church to be a Christian. 
But he says, you do not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. And I think he makes a good point. God wants his people involved in his church. Now I want you to notice something here as we go back to the scripture in verse 14. Nehemiah closes this section and each of the next two sections with a little short prayer. Read with me verse 14. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have faithfully done for the house of my God and its service. Now at first glance we may say, boy, he's, he's kind of selfish. He's just praying for himself. I don't think so. I think what he's doing here is he's asking the Lord not to wipe out the people and the progress that has been made, even though they've had a little setback here. I think he's saying, Lord, remember me as I correct these people and as we correct the problems that we've encountered here. Now let's go to verse 15. In those days I saw the people in Judah treading winepress on the Sabbath, and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine and grapes and figs and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this to Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. The people from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on, on us and on this city? Now are you stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath? So I want us to be reminded that we have a responsibility to the holiness of the Lord's day. You know, this, the, this desecrating the Sabbath is similar to why God brought destruction on Israel and sent them into exile to start with. They were not following the law of Moses, and, and God punished them. And clearly the law of Moses called for the Sabbath day to be the, the day of worship and rest under the Old Covenant. You probably remember the words in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, beginning at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigners residing in the towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So under the law of Moses, the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, the seventh day of the week, the Hebrew people were supposed to set that day aside as a day of rest and a day of uh, uh, a worship for God. Nehemiah rebukes them clearly in verse 17 for desecrating the Sabbath day. That means they were taking what was supposed to be sacred to them and, and making it an ordinary day, just like any other day. Nothing special. Now, under the new covenant, 
We don't worship on the Sabbath day. Some people call Sunday the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is actually Saturday. It's the Hebrew, uh, the Jewish holiday. But under the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we see that the apostles established Sunday, the first day of the week, as the gathering for Christian people. It's a, it's a holy day. Now, we're not under the law, but it is a day when the church gathers for worship. And God tells his people in Hebrews 10, 25, not to give up the meeting together. Now, I know that people have all kinds of excuses for not worshiping on the Sabbath day. I read a little satire this week. It says, if you took excuses people use for not going to church and applied them to other important areas of life, you'd realize how inconsistent we can be in our logic. For example, what if you applied the same excuses people use for not going to church for not taking a bath? I don't take a bath anymore because I was forced to as a child. People who make soap are only after your money. I wash on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Uh, people who wash are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everybody else. Are there so many different kinds of soap, I can't decide which one to use. I used to wash. It got boring, so I stopped. None of my friends wash. The bathroom is never warm enough in the winter or cool enough in the summer. I'll start washing when I get older and dirtier. I can't spare the time. You know, all those are excuses people use for not going to church. But God calls us to be part of the church. You know, the church is the body of Christ. And, and God calls His believers to be part of that body and to participate regularly in the worship. Now, there are <clears throat> many who are not able to come be part of the church. And that's why we have the, uh, the online service uh, for them. And there are people that are sometimes out of town or on vacation or occasionally people have to work. You know, we, we, uh, in the New Covenant, we don't have all kinds of rules. And it's, it's not something that we are forced to do. It is something that we should want to do, that we should desire to be as a part of the body of Christ. And I hear people say, well, I can worship while I'm up in the mountains or while I'm out on the lake or or while I'm at the golf course, or even while I'm at home, anywhere. And that's true. But God calls us, as His holy people, to be part of the fellowship of the church. And that fellowship meets every Sunday morning for worship. And there's power in setting aside this day. Uh, now the Jews took it to extreme and made it a legalistic day. But Jesus' point, uh, Jesus points us to come together even though we're not under the law and we come together to make this a day of, of as the first church did a day of worship and singing a day of praying together a day of studying God's word a day of fellowshipping together and, and encouraging one another and a day of accountability and we have a responsibility as God's holy people to be here as often as possible and to make this day a sacred day to the Lord. Once again, 
As Nehemiah closed this section, he prays a prayer. Verses 19 through 22 uh, show how Nehemiah corrected the problem. And then at the verse of, end of verse 22, Nehemiah prayed this prayer. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. I think what Nehemiah was saying, I'm trying to get these people back on track. Remember us, Lord. Remember through your great love as I am trying to get these people refocused on their responsibilities. Now, look at verse 23. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. You know, we also have a responsibility to the holiness of God's Word. Under the Old Covenant, there were various regulations about marriage, about family life, about society, how to conduct yourself as God's people. Uh, one example is given here is that not to marry outside the faith. Uh, Jews were not supposed to marry non-Jews. Now, it goes on in verse 25, if you read that, to say some stuff. Uh, it says, Nehemiah actually called curses down on those people. He beat them. He pulled their hair out of, of many of the men who were involved in this. You know, the Jews often in their writings and in their speeches, they often used hyperbole, which is over-exaggeration. It's doubtful that Nehemiah actually pulled men's hair out, but he probably wanted to. He was so frustrated that they were foregoing the basics of the law of God. But he certainly gave them a strong rebuke about not following the law of God and what was going on in those families. You know, even the, the Apostle Paul warns us about being unevenly yoked. He says, do not be yoked together to unbelievers. We take that to mean that we should not marry an unbeliever if we are a believer. Uh, we shouldn't really even have close partnerships such as in a business or something uh, with an unbeliever because uh, they are pagans and they will bring in ways that are not of God that we will, it will cause us frustration and we'll have to deal with it. Now Paul does say if you're married when you become a Christian and you're your spouse is not an unbeliever, don't divorce them. Work as you can to try to lead them to the Lord. But really, you know, what this is about is getting into the Word of God. All of this is. And understanding the way God wants us to live our lives. And we use the Word of God as a, as a guide for all of our lives and how we are to live. Gordon MacDonald is a preacher and a Christian author. And MacDonald tells about, uh, he, he often flies around the country to speak at different places. And because he's a frequent flyer, he's often able to get an uh, exit aisle seat. Now this is a seat on the plane that, where there's a wide aisle because there's a door, an emergency door that you can get out. But if you sit in that seat, 
It's a privilege, but there's also a responsibility. And you are responsible in an emergency to flip the lever on that door, push that door out, and then push it to the side so people can get out the door. And by law, the stewardess has to come and she has to ask you, have you read the card in the seat that has instructions about how to work the door? And McDonald says, I never read the card, but I, um, but I, I know how to open the door, and I always lie to the stewardess. But one day I was convicted. The stewardess came. She knelt down, looked me right in the eye, and said, Sir, I need a verbal answer. Have you read the card about how to open the door? And he thought for a minute, and he said yes, but he hadn't really read it. And when she left, he got the card out, and he said, I read it. And he said, she said something to me that impacted me. She said, if we have an emergency, I am going to be counting on you to get this door open. And a lot of people on this plane are going to be counting on you. So he said he made sure he read the card and understood exactly how to get the door open. You know, God gives us his word. And I just want to say to you, have you read the instructions? Because a lot of people are counting on you to live a holy life. People we don't even know. You know, the church is the only organization that exists for the people that don't believe in our leader. And because we know God's Word and we live God's Word out in this, in this society, many people will be drawn to come and know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't read the Word of God to see what we're not supposed to do. We read the Word of God to learn how we are to do, how we are to live. Well, verse 29, there's one more prayer that he gives as he closes out that section. He says, Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. I believe Nehemiah's asking for God to remember them, to forgive them for what they've done as he is now helping to restore them. Verse 30, So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood, that's to, to burn the burnt offerings, and designated times for the first fruits, that is the offerings that the people were supposed to give uh, to the temple. Here's our connection. When God's people stay true to their responsibility to live as the holy people of God, the church will remain restored. You know, we've seen that Nehemiah restored the city. And we've seen that he restored the people and that it was hard work. You know, we've seen all that he went through, that he... Uh, he recognized the problem, that he reviewed the need, that he refocused the people, remembered the presence of God, reacted to the obstacles, revitalized the purpose, and rejoiced in revival, and remembered the past. But you know, all of that is futile if you don't recognize the responsibility that we all have to carry on as the holy 
people of God. You know, there's a word that we use for living the holy, uh, responsible life that God calls us to. And it's the word faithfulness. And in Hebrews 10, 38, Jesus says, My righteous one will live by faith. God calls us to a responsibility of faithfulness. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for this series that we've been through, for the study of the book of Nehemiah, for what his leadership means, and not just for the Hebrew people those many years ago, but even we learn from it today about restoring something. And we know, Father, that you want your church restored to where it was before COVID and even beyond. You want us to continue to grow and function and and become all that you have in store for us. And so we pray today, as your so-called holy people, that you help us to recognize our responsibility to go forward as your people and representing you. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, I pray and praise. Amen.